Good morning, and we are joined on the program once again by State Senator Gene Lysing. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning, Tom. And, of course, uh, it's uh, getting uh, pretty uh, hot and heavy at the uh, State House uh, these days with uh, the uh, long session going on. And in particular, uh, Senator Lysing, a uh, bill of yours, uh, Senate Bill 242, uh, this is uh, regarding uh, drainage. And uh, understand that uh, that has, uh, has passed. And uh, what can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, that that bill, it's the, what I call the state floodplain bill, actually, uh, passed the Senate uh, with a vote yesterday of 40 to 5. Um, what it does, you know, we've already had federal floodplains under FEMA in place across the state for many years. But just in the last couple years, the state decided that they were going to establish state floodplains, which are actually more stringent or restrictive than the federal floodplain map. And I can tell you, they would tell us if we were on the line together that they're more protective, that they're trying to protect people uh, from building and living where it could possibly flood. However, what we found out so far is that all their mapping was done by aerial maps. I don't believe that these newly defined state floodplains have ever been walked by a person, and there's uh, a lot of confusion about areas that have been uh, declared uh, state floodplains. And so what's happening is, obviously, uh, after the DNR got this in the agency bill this past year, um, there are people that's property that they may have owned uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years has technically now been devalued because it's now in a state floodplain, not federal, and uh, they would find out about it if they went to sell that property or if they were going to build and needed a building permit. So I want the DNR to have to go to the proper um, way that we do when we pass uh, or make new laws in Indiana, and that is that there would be a full committee meeting on this issue of to how they came about these maps and why they think they were really essential in Indiana, because we've heard testimony that's pretty concerning, you know, people that just wanted to do a simple addition in their garage, and they told them that that had to be seven feet higher than their house. You know, some really stuff that for you and I probably wouldn't make a lot of common sense, because where these people live, nobody can ever remember that there was a flood. So anyway, so what my bill did is said you can't mandate those maps, the state floodplain maps, until after further action by the legislature. So now the maps that they designed are still available. People can go to the DNR portal and determine whether or not their property or their house is in a newly defined state floodplain area. One of the criticisms that we heard a lot in committee was that, um, you know, people weren't notified that they were in the new map, and so many people um, are going to be very frustrated, and their bankers might be as well, you know, because if they have a significant loan on that property, and now they were thinking about selling it, they may have a problem. So, Anyway, so I'm hoping that my bill that I sent over to the House yesterday to 
uh, four um, prominent people that understand the uh, the issue. I hope that it will get a hearing in the House and move on to the governor's office so we can slow down that process of using those new state floodplain maps. Uh, so we'll see. You know, it's, it's a process for those that are listening, and it's always more complicated than people think because a bill that starts in the Senate has to also pass the House before it can go to the governor for action. And a bill that starts in the House has to come to the Senate first. And it's really a good thing, I guess, because it, it makes it's another way of making sure that that we've got it right. OK, so anyway, um, Tom, that's kind of it as of the moment on 242. And then also, uh, Senator, you had um, a bill. It's a uh, chip perfect. I know was uh, in on this was um, cybersecurity. And uh, what can you tell us about that and where that stands? Yeah, that bill is authored by uh, Senator Liz Brown from Fort Wayne, and it passed out of the uh, Commerce Committee last Thursday. And I expect that's going to continue to move. It's considered a priority bill um, because. Very frankly, um, many people are worried about the security um, of accounts that you may have and whatever. And so uh, I look for continued action on that bill. It's not one that I've worked on the details of, but I think they, um, they're going to continue to try to work it out so that it uh, makes sense to everybody. But um, that bill is at least moving and will be on the floor of the Senate this week sometime. Uh, so uh, I think that'll be an interesting one for people to follow. Uh, I also have had uh, uh, three other bills have action uh, already. Uh, one is the um, electric car bill that I think I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. and that actually has passed the um, uh, Senate uh, with a strong vote, actually. In fact, I believe there were no votes against that bill. Um and what it does is it says that our uh, Bureau of Motor Vehicles, who knows who has an electric car because they have to pay an additional $150 registration fee to try to replace the gas tax that they won't be paying uh, since they don't have to buy gas. And so uh, what the bill does is it requires the, the BMV, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, to notify the IURC, the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, exactly how many electric cars are registered by county, and they have to do that annually. And you might say, why is that necessary? Well, uh, electric cars take a lot of electrical generation from the grid, and very frankly, some of our utility companies are concerned if too many people on a certain road or a certain suburban street or whatever plug in their cars at the same time, the transformer, for instance, in their area may not even accommodate it. So this is going to give, by area, uh, an idea of where electric cars are currently uh, being owned, used, and, and plugged in, so to speak. So, And then uh, I also have a bill that's passed uh, with no opposition, and that is in regard to the State Fair Legislative Advisory Committee, and it has to do with their reports that they're um, required to file annually. And so the legislative services is going to take over that reporting versus the Department of Ag because 
Uh, they need more complete reports on how the commission and state fair board are in fact spending um, money, spending state dollars, etc. And then uh, actually this week also uh, my bill is going to get action on um, making school standardized test results more easily readable by parents and teachers. Um, we require all these standardized tests, and I've heard from both parents and teachers that you can't at a glance see how your students and your family are doing. And uh, so the future contracts with these standardized testing companies will have to do, um, you know, kind of a one-pager, an easy, easy to read, easy to understand, because if we're going to spend all your tax dollars on standardized testing, somebody needs to know how the kids, in fact, are really doing. And, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer. It seems like one that you'd say, well, surely they're doing that. But, unfortunately, they're not. So, anyway, and, you know, then also this week I have a bill that's going to be heard in public policy, and that has to do, we have a lot of charitable gaming in our area, our churches, our departments, and whatever, and it's going to allow people that uh, are entities that sell, for instance, pull tabs uh, in charity gaming for those to be uh, sold for anywhere from $1 to $5 um, instead of up to $1. And so I think that um, that could be a benefit uh, for those that are into uh, larger games um, and honestly, we all know that our schools, churches, and fire departments, et cetera, would benefit from more revenue coming in. It seems like there's never quite enough. So anyway, so we'll see. I don't know how that will be received uh, because it gets its first hearing this week. So, And, you know, there's big issues out there. The budget bill is uh, over in the House. Um, that's the big two-year annual budget that, that is the reason we have to be in session this year is to pass a budget. And uh, first, uh, you know, of course, the governor submits his budget, and then the House <clears throat> has their version, and then the Senate will have their version, and they'll have to work out the differences. So that's always an interesting kind of uh, scenario. So we'll see uh, how that all works out. I mean, there seems like there should be plenty of money to go around, but when there is more money available, there's more ask. And so, you know, just like at home, there's always more things you want or need than what really there's the money for. So so we'll see. There's some education bills that I hope your listeners are, are paying attention to. Uh, and I'm struggling with a couple of those uh, myself. Uh, you know, obviously I want what's good for kids. And... Um, one of them would um, take away a lot of the training requirements for our teachers. And so that might sound really good to most of us, except I still don't have a complete list of what's going to be left. So we don't want to jeopardize the health and safety of the kids um, in our schools. So we're going to have to work that out. There's also, in that same bill, uh, a limitation, so to speak, on what the schools have to discuss with the teachers. It's kind of referred to as the discussion part of that bill. And I think teachers are concerned, and some 
school corporations, maybe not ours, but in some school corporations that they have a hard time getting their voices heard if they don't go through the organized uh, union effort. So I think that one is going to get a lot of attention. And then something that, excuse me, that we're hearing about in the news is something called an ESSA, or Educational Savings Account, or sometimes referred to as an Educational Scholarship Account. And that bill is also being uh, pondered, so to speak. It's now in... uh, going to be taken up by the Appropriations Committee. But what it would do, it, in a way, it sounds like expanded school choice, but it doesn't replace the voucher program that some of our kids in private schools are benefiting from. It's, um, and it's a limited list of schools and, uh, and that are not public schools that are um, on the available list and Perhaps if they get this through, parents will be able to have uh, a choice of even schools that aren't accredited, which I have a serious concern about because it would be using state tax dollars. So I, I, um, I don't know what's going to happen to that bill, but I'm anxious to hear uh, from people about it. Uh, that bill number, uh, by chance, is uh, 305, and uh, I think that... Um, you know, it, it's one that could impact uh, many of our schools and our, many of our kids. So we, if we're going to do it, we have to get it right. It's my understanding that the state of Iowa and the state of Utah have recently passed something uh, in regard to this, but they're all designed differently. And so we've got to make sure if we're going to do something like that, that there's uh, parameters, <clears throat> guardrails, whatever you want to call it, um, so that so that it makes sense, you know. So, but, you know, uh, I will just tell you, Tom, <clears throat> that um, actually there are so many bills out there. The health bills are going to have a tremendous impact, and I am somewhat concerned on some of those and the impact, the negative impact, on our rural hospitals. <clears throat> One has um, actually um, puts a limit on whether or not a hospital can have a physician who they recently have hired, whether or not they can have them sign a non-compete clause, which um, is a pretty big deal for small hospitals, I think, because, you know, if they hire a doctor and they invest in certain equipment that that doctor needs for whatever his specialty is, um, you know, they may not want to lose him before uh, they are able to offset the cost of that equipment. Uh, so I think that that's one that, that is going to get a lot more discussion. And then there's also uh, one that deals with county health departments, and that is Senate Bill 4. And I think if we can get it right, it might be really a good thing for the health of our state. Uh, our state is not rated very highly in many categories for health. And so... Um, we're going to have to see what we can do to um, to improve that. But I think the way it's set up right now, and it's going to get its first hearing in health uh, this week, and um, that it will be an optional thing for counties to opt into. And if counties don't want to participate, then they just don't get those additional funds that will be associated with it. So it's kind of a carrot and a stick 
so to speak, and people sometimes like those and sometimes they don't. But, you know, things like childhood immunization rates have dropped off dramatically. And I'm sure that it probably has to do, Tom, with the fact that people were worried about COVID vaccines, so now they're not getting their, their small kiddos vaccinated for the common childhood diseases. And we have really um, serious concerns about that because we could have children breaking through with uh, measles, mumps, and chickenpox, which uh, only people in my generation experienced having to get. Most of the kids now and young adults have never experienced any of those diseases. So uh, there's there's so much out there, Tom. It's, um, it's going to be an interesting session. And as it, uh, we've talked about before, it will go on until the end of April. So there's lots of times for bills to change, for them to pass, or frankly, for them to be defeated. All right. Well, as uh, always, uh, Senator Gene Lysing, we appreciate your time this morning, and uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, stay well, and uh, we will talk to you once again in two weeks. All right. Thanks a lot, Tom. Don't adjust your radio. The sound that you hear is your stomach. You're having trouble focusing. You can't recall your last meal. You're trapped in the hunger zone. The solution, Batesville to go. Let To Go deliver a hot, fresh meal to your home or office whenever hunger strikes. To Go delivers the best food from local restaurants. Visit us online at togodelivers.com or call us at 812-727-8800. Batesville To Go, big city convenience, small town taste.